But in fact, the best thing we can do is ask broader questions that allow the seller or the seller's team to speak and speak freely. Then you really just want to listen to the information that's being given to you because the seller, the seller wants you to come up and give them a, an offer that makes sense to them. So ask the questions that are going to get the seller talking and then listen. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures Law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome once again to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. And I'm one of your hosts, Jason Muth. We are here with attorney broker Rory Gill. What's up, Rory? Hi, Jason. Good to be here. I feel like we're on a roll with this podcast. I think so. I think we, you know, we have a good rhythm going with the two of us recording these episodes and posting them and actually committing to it, which is one of the biggest problems with podcasts from what I've learned is that people get going and then they just stop. But we have a plan, right? We're going to keep doing a couple of these episodes with us. We are eager to invite guests onto this podcast as well. So I think that the next couple episodes that we record are going to have some guests on them. And then we would love to hear from you, meaning you listening right now, if you'd like to be on this podcast, you could reach out to us and we'll explain how to do that later on in the episode. But, you know, I feel as though th- things are getting back to normal-ish right now. I don't, I don't know what you're sensing in, in kind of your everyday going, comings and goings. But, you know, for example, I have just a regular cold right now. You know, I don't have COVID because I got a test on Monday, even though I'm vaccinated and we brought the baby to get tested too, who clearly gave me the cold and she also doesn't have COVID. So it's just a regular cold. Well, that's good to hear that you just have a cold. We'll certainly celebrate that. (laughs) And, you know, we're starting to see the return of in-person dining and in-person networking events. I know we're eager to get going with some of the ones that we've been to here in the Boston area. I was at an event last night, which was not a real estate event, but it was it was just like, it was kind of crazy. It was like, it was back to what it used to be like pre-baby, pre-pandemic. And mm-hmm. I almost forgot how to behave in those kind of settings. So, it's, And we're even seeing the, the real estate market to start to find a semblance of normalcy the you know after the covid-19 depression and then the you know the post covid-19 surge we're starting to see inventory loosen up just a little bit and hopefully it's a good sign that we'll find our new equilibrium between buyers and sellers going forward so i'm really hopeful with the what the coming ones have for for both sides of the transaction yeah, I, you know, I've noticed the same thing too. I still get notifications for a number of areas uh, that we either have purchased in or that we're looking. And I'm starting to see a couple little price reductions here and there. We're starting to see properties sit on the market longer than the first open house. It's probably a good thing because it means it's going to be less frantic and crazed. But we'll see. So buyers can have some hope, hopefully going forward, unless this really dates the, this particular podcast episode. But I have a feeling it's not. I have a feeling it's not going to. And actually, that that does lead into what we're going to be talking about today. And and no better time than the present to be trying to figure out what questions home buyers should be asking. And it's an important topic because you know you can't just show up at an open house and say, "Oh, this is really pretty. I want to put an offer in," especially in a really competitive market. 
especially if you're looking to get a deal, you know, back when we remember you could negotiate real estate, which we're hoping to get back to that at some point in the future. But, you know, there's information that you might be able to glean from the agent or from the situation with some good due diligence that might inform you as to whether or not they need to sell fast. They're kind of not serious about selling, like kind of what the situation is right there. So, you know, there's tons of questions you can be asking. But, you know, Rory, I thought a really good way to start and to jump into the meat and potatoes of this episode is to get your opinion of what are some of those basic questions that home buyers should be asking when they're out there, you know, trying to find that next property. Yeah, a lot of buyers hop into places and there's no substitute for seeing a place in person and seeing the information that's available in the listing sheet or the written materials. But there are some good questions that are really open-ended. And actually the hardest part is listening to the answers that are given to you. Many buyers will take a, ask really specific questions as though finding the specific date that something was built or really particular piece of data is the you know going to be really insightful. But in fact, the best thing we can do is ask broader questions that allow the seller or the seller's team to speak and speak freely then you really just want to listen to the information that's being given to you because the seller the seller wants you to come up and give them a good, an offer that makes sense to them so ask the questions that are going to get the seller talking and then listen in the, the listening is a great skill isn't it and i don't think we do enough of that as society i think a lot of us just want to talk and be heard but you know there's there, there, there's a certain level of intelligence that goes along with actually listening to what people are saying and gathering your thoughts on what that means and then responding instead of just spitting out the next thing words that come out of your mouth. I certainly can't interrupt you while you're making that point. That would be problematic. All right. So, but the, the, you know, the very first question I want to, I think more home buyers really need to ask is just why do the owners want to sell? It's a mm -hmm. wide open question. There are a lot of common answers to it, but you never know what's going to be revealed by asking that question. It's going to really get at what the seller's motivation is, which will help you craft an offer that will make sense for the seller and make you more attractive. You know, the obvious thing is to take a, a note at when the seller answers is what is their their timeline, their motivation to sell is going to tell you that, you know, are they relocating for their job to another part of the country? Are they retiring? Do they need to move before the new school year starts so their kids can start in the new district? Is an investor working against a 1031 exchange deadline? All of these things will give you a clear insight into what the seller's motivations are, which will help you craft an offer that's either faster, slower, or if the seller's flexible, then you're looking at maybe a higher offer price to reward them. But you want to hear what the seller's looking for, and that's going to, to lie into why they're selling it in the first place. And sometimes when, when you ask that question, there are questions that you you, you kind of can't expect a real estate agent to be able to answer legally. But if you phrase a question so open-ended like that, the info might just come out, right? Yep. And there's never, there's nothing unethical or problematic about asking the question. The response you get back shouldn't mm -hmm. involve anything that would be discriminatory, but you may get some, you know, but you may get their full life story, or you may just hit a firewall, but it never hurts to ask this particular question. You'll find some information out of it, at the very least what the seller's timeline is, what their ideal timeline is for closing. 
Yeah. And then um, as you're asking these questions, you're kind of walking around the house. You're either communicating on email or in person with the, the selling agent and, and you're noticing stuff, right? Like if you look around the house and you see that the house is super messy or it's under construction or it's you know vandalized or it is pristine, you know, you can kind of combine the information that you're hearing with the information that you're seeing to come to some type of conclusion, right? Yeah. So if you take a look at, if you're looking at a property that is immaculately staged with staging furniture, you know that the property is vacant. In most of the situations, that means the seller would prefer a fast closing, but they may be they may be flexible. So you have less bargaining power in those particular situations. If a house is completely vacant but not staged, that could also suggest that they are looking for a quick close. But if a property is you know, clearly lived in still, that's going to force you to ask more questions about what exactly the sellers are looking to do. You know, is the home in a state when you're walking around, does it, is it complete or are there lots of construction projects going on? And how does that mesh with the message you're getting about why the sellers want to sell? You know, are there tenants in there that are clean? Are the tenants messy? Does the you know, does a place look cared for or does a place look neglected? And you're trying to just reconcile with that with the information you're getting about the seller's motivations. Does it make sense? And from there, you'll, you'll, know, the, you'll know the right follow-up questions to ask. What you're trying to do is occasionally discover issues that might exist with the home or with the neighborhood. But you're also trying to, in your mind, think of ways to make your offer stand out and be more attractive to the seller. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So... Other questions that home buyers should be asking, you know, so that was a great one. Just a really broad question. Why do they want to sell? What's another good question people could be asking? Another question people should be asking more is a little bit more complicated, but that is how is this property zoned? Zoning rules dictate what you can do with a home, the the size, the dimensions, the use, the number of units that can be in a building. The municipality zoning rules really control a lot with what you can do with the home. But by asking the question about how a property is zoned, you might be able to reveal other opportunities than what you see in front of you. So this mm-hmm. is a good question for some a buyer who's more investment-minded. But if you're looking at a property, especially if you look around and you see different uses in the neighborhood or different scale homes in the neighborhood, you may want to ask how the property is zoned, but always do some due diligence just to confirm the zoning rules. But what you're looking for there are hidden opportunities with the existing home. Like ways to maximize the footprint of the home or maximize either the, if you're an investor, the return on the property. Like let's just say that it's currently being used as a single family house or something, but it actually could be zoned for two units. Like then maybe there's an opportunity for you to squeeze some additional revenue out of there if you, you know, get the meter separated or or whatever you have to do, right? That's exactly right. So if there's an opportunity to turn a one-unit into a multi-unit property or taking a three-unit and turning it into a four-unit property or also even changing the uses of the particular unit. So if you have a three-unit building but it's a zone for mixed use, you may stand to make more profit and put it to better use if you turn the first floor unit into a commercial unit. So there are ways to think of the of this. Or, you know, occasionally there are single family homes that are zoned for commercial use where you could build a strip mall or a gas station. Those are all different hidden opportunities that may not be apparent if you're just going to look at a, a property with just your eyes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, why not have a gas station right in your backyard? 
well, very convenient these days, especially with electric vehicles coming out and you know our dependency on oil uh, diminishing. Building a gas station is not my uh, business advice, but what you're looking for are hidden opportunities and places that, that you may not otherwise notice. Right. Um, okay. And then also with that, if you're familiar with zoning rules, there is a trend in some municipalities. We're a little slow here to adopt this, but the concept of ADUs, accessory dwelling units, that's where in particular in places where there's a housing shortage, municipality may allow you to construct an in-law apartment or additional living space that could be used as an additional unit. Around here in Massachusetts, we don't see very much of this, but this is a growing tent trend and it's something to be mindful for because there it may unlock some value in a property where there isn't any right now. Right. Such as Airbnb that ADU, like in your backyard. Absolutely. And that would be one of the few ways where you could actually operate legally in Airbnb within the city of Boston. And that's a you know, that's these are the things that a savvy buyer should be asking, and more buyers, frankly, should be asking this question when they're considering particular properties. Wait, so if you have like a single family home, like in Roslindale or a neighbor, Jamaica Plain or something, a neighborhood that actually has yards, and you throw a tiny home in the backyard, you're, first of all, are you allowed to do that in Boston? And second of all, you could then Airbnb that out, right? We're slow to adopt the trend, but there's pressure to create the ADUs. Uh-huh. If once the ADUs are formalized, then that would comply with the current Airbnb requirements, which requires, which limits Airbnbs in the city to owner occupied buildings. So if you have a two unit building, you can use the other unit as an Airbnb property so long as you live in the other unit. You cannot be an absentee landlord for an Airbnb property in, in Boston. Right. I, I I came across some guy that was doing a bunch of tiny homes across the country. I forget exactly. I have to go back in my email and, and figure out exactly who he was and how I came about him. But we, we were on like some networking Zoom a few months ago back when a lot of people were doing that. And he had a really cool business plan. And we should circle back with him and get him on this podcast because, you know, there's probably so many laws with tiny homes that, you know, he could even teach us about. And, you know, they, they, they look great. I've... I've never been in one myself, but you know, you and I have talked a lot about container homes lately, probably to your dismay, but I think they look awesome. And a container home would be kind of cool in the backyard. They're highly Instagrammable. I'm not convinced on the numbers, but that's a, that's a separate whole episode. Um, but yeah. the whole, the whole premise of this question, you know, how are things zoned is really to ask, is the property being used for its highest and best legal use? Mm-hmm. And there's no end to the creativity that can happen here. Don't just take what's what's there. If it's a small cape home, don't just think that's the only thing that can go there. You might be able to do the container home. You might be able to build a gas station. You might be able to build an apartment building. But no, asking this question and knowing the potential for a full potential property might, in a market like this, actually uncover some hidden deals that are out there. Right. So we're talking about questions that home buyers should be asking when they're out there looking for property. And and this could be another series of podcasts that we do where we're, you know, throwing a couple questions up there that are kind of related, but you know, let's just we're halfway through right now. We just want to go into a couple questions for this episode. What is a, a, another question worry that people should be asking? Another question I like is a little less open-ended, but it's a little sneaky because it, it gets to a lot more information. And that's asking what the current insurance premium is for a home. It might hmm. seem small. It might seem like you're just trying to budget for the insurances. But what you're trying to uncover there is if the insurance premium is abnormally high. 
which that could be an indicator that there's an issue with a, in a property. So it's a, it's not going to reveal all issues with the place. Don't only ask this question, but asking what the insurance premium end is, comparing it to a local average, might raise a red flag to you that f more follow-up is going to be needed. Those issues could be, you know, a past claim history. Was there water damage in the house that is not readily apparent when you look at it? And since we're not a disclosure state, you may not see when you see in any of the literature about the home. So asking about the insurance could, you know, raise an, like indicate a past history of claims. It could mm -hmm. also be an indicator that the insurance company, in its judgment, has doesn't feel that the property is in good condition. We see that a little bit more with condominiums, but if the insurer um, doesn't believe that the property is well cared for, they may offer insurance, but at a higher premium. So you're just going to take a look at that number and compare it to the local average. What it, Could that number ever be tied to the owner um, himself or herself? Like, let's just say that they're... I don't know, litigious or they didn't care for the property, just like you suggested. And, and it's like a, like a credit score, like it follows the actual insurer around instead of attaching itself to the property. Could that happen? Uh Absolutely. So you may have, you know, you may, this question may raise a red flag, but it may be addressed um, with something innocuous that's tied to the owner. So, you know, for example, if the owner's dog bit somebody, that has nothing to do with the property. That doesn't mean that the property is any less insurable. But mm -hmm. now you've figured out why. You've had to ask that follow-up question to see to see what happened there. And you've uncovered the answer that it, it's uniquely tied to the owner. And that's not something that's going to come with you. Right. But Again, so this this question is a standard for a whole bunch of other questions, but yes, it could absolutely be tied to the owner itself. Okay, so hit us up with one more question that is a good one that you should be asking if you're out there looking for homes. One question that I think some people are hesitant to ask, but I always ask, and I love this question: is Are you expecting any offers? I like it because you never know what you're going to get for an answer, and this can really be indicative of how exactly this listing is going. So, you know, ask in, I ask it in that form, are you expecting any offers? Because it's a little bit broader. If you ask, have you received any offers, you're likely to get the yes or the no and shut the question down. So are you expecting any offers? Plays into a lot of agents' pride a little bit. They want to mm -hmm. demonstrate that the listing's going very well, and they will then give you a recap of what they think is going right. But in that answer, you're going to I get different answers and I'm often surprised by what I get, but they'll let you know how you, know, you may hear how the listing's going. You may hear the agent's own opinion of the particular property. You might find out that there are offers that they're expecting coming in. So you, you'll mm -hmm. get a lot of information from this. You'll see how the, how well the listing's going. You might find out subtle cues that the listing agent's not confident in the listing price, or you might just find out that, yes, in fact, you do have to put an offer right away if you if you want to be competitive. But this is a yeah. really broad question that I like to always ask and step back and listen to. Mm -hmm. And these are, these are things that you could pick up on when you're in person with somebody that email is not going to reveal, text messages won't reveal, emojis might reveal, but if you're going to communicate in emojis and memes, which a lot of people do these days, you know, maybe you can kind of 
gather some info. But yeah, you ask that question, are you expecting any offers? And then there's like a pause or a shrug or a, uh, you know, like strange faces, then, you know, you, you file that away. If you're going to an open house that has been on the market for a couple of weeks and, and that happens, and even in this market, maybe there's a price reduction. Like maybe when you ask that question, the the agent might say, well, you know, uh, we've had we've had some folks coming through like, you know, people want to be truthful, I think, you know, so like they're going to kind of get to give you information even though they don't want to show all their cards. You know, you can kind of put it all together. If it's been on the market for a little bit, there's been a price reduction, they hesitate. They say, well, you know, I'm optimistic. You know, we had another couple groups coming through here, but you know, the owner is very motivated. I mean, like they're giving you all the indication in the world that if you're going to put an offer in, that they're willing to negotiate. Absolutely. These, that's a very good point. These questions are best asked in person because mm-hmm. a lot of them might lend themselves to a really scripted, concrete answer over email or guarded answer. But there's nothing like asking the listing agent at an open house or at a listing agent showing where they can let loose a little bit. And also, agents are more likely to be a little more candid among agents because we can see the same things. If we're, you know, we, we know what the market is like. It's, it's tougher to kind of make a sell to another agent. Yeah. But, you know, going in person and dealing in person is really going to get you a better sense of what's going on. There's, there's so many human nature cues that we've just had to readjust over the past year, year and a half, you know, from communicating virtually to hosting Zooms to not seeing people in person to seeing people in person when everybody wearing masks. I mean, you know, I, in, in my office, like, you know, we just we're adhering to the CDC's policies now. So if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. If you aren't vaccinated, you're supposed to wear one. But even before that, when we were all wearing masks in the office, you know, you have a, you have a conversation with somebody and it's just your eyes in a mask. And like, you can only communicate so much stuff with your eyes that, and, and I'm half Italian. I move my hands around all the time. (laughs) Like, you know, I move my face, like these expressions, like you learn a lot of stuff from people when you're in person, you know, even going to the event last night, like you, you, you forget all the stuff that, you know, you, you gather just from humanity, from talking to them in person that you can get so much information out of this. And I think that like, maybe that's something that's been missing, you know, with the pandemic and everybody searching for property virtually and wearing masks. Now we're starting to get back into the world that we knew. And I have a feeling that all those social cues that we, we once had are all going to come back and that's going to lead to better information for people when they're out there looking for a home. There's a there's a place for all the tech. There's a place for all the virtual tours and showings, but it is no substitute for this direct interaction with people. Yeah. And again, when you go out there and interact with people, the key is to listen. Don't be afraid of silence. Let them explain the situation to you, mm-hmm. and then really, really listen to what the other person has to say. Right. Right. Well, great. Well, Rory, once again, these are some great questions that people should be asking. We will do another episode in the future where we're also asking some more just basic questions that lead to lots of listening and and what kind of information you can get that you might not have known from just asking a big, broad, general question. But thank you once again. Thanks for all the time here on this episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. A couple of housekeeping things. If you do want to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to one of us. You can reach out to Rory where? I'm easily defined at Next Home Title Town or at UrbanVillageLegal.com. Okay, so Rory at Next Home Title Town.com. 
And you hook me up with an email address as well. So Jason at nexthometitletown.com also works. So mm-hmm. shoot me a message. If you're watching this on YouTube, we'd love it if you subscribe to our channel. Give this a thumbs up. Give us a comment. It'll certainly help the YouTube algorithm in, in getting this information out there to more people. If you're listening to this on Instagram, we appreciate that as well. We post all the episodes to IGTV, and we know that there are some people that are listening to us on Instagram. Last night, I bumped into some folks that they, they brought up the podcast, so friends of our are listening, which is good. They're like, yeah, it's great that you're doing this podcast. I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, we started it, then we had a baby and kind of put it on hold for two years. And and here we are back. So, you know, we're eager to continue this throughout the year. And we can't wait to have some guests on this, on the podcast. So reach out to us if you want to be on it. We'd love to have you on that podcast. Thanks again. My name is Jason Muth. This is Rory Gill. And we're signing off. So thanks for listening. All right. Thanks. Bye. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.